Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, thank you, Mr. Kelly, for passing the baton in my direction. We didn't drop it, so it was a smooth transition. And welcome, folks. Thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly. If you have any questions or concerns, three, one, only about plant material, though, landscape, nothing else. I won't answer anything else. So if your plumbing's bad, your water main break, I don't care. It's your plants. 314-436-7900-1800-925-1120. Comments, questions, or concerns. Every Saturday morning, we get to get together to discuss your yard, your landscape, garden, your house plants. How are your house plants doing? It's about the only green thing. Well, no, there's plenty of green plants in the outdoors. Whether you use potting mix or potting soils, how to improve your soil, pruning, bugs, diseases, plants, removals, planting installations, and how to make those best choices. Remember, my words are strictly open opportunities. After that, it's going to take physical and mental work on your part to make it through this great marathon called gardening. No, no sprints, no fast fixes, except a fast fix will be fastly done with, too. This is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. Thanks to Greg. He's producing again today. I'm Mike Miller. Been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. And I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine as well. During the week, I do landscape consulting where I come to your home and do what I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. On the homepage, there's an email address and a phone number where I can be reached. And uh, today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. 8613344 that's after the 636 though so 636-861-3344. steps off i'll tell you what i hate to admit this but i turned into a wimp this morning i was going to do my st- good gardening stroll around ballpark village cuz there were some giant cranes and things there and i thought wow so i know there's big major construction you know sort of scheduled for that area, but I made it about halfway around and I got too cold. So I went back to the car <laughs> and I sat and cried. I couldn't, I couldn't. I guess I'm just getting too old or my knees are getting too old or something. Anyway, doesn't matter. So anyway, I did, you know, make some notes as I walked around Ballpark Village. These giant cranes, sidewalk is closed and everything else. It looks like there's construction on both the east and west side of Ballpark Village. I think I was talking to Brian Kelly in between breaks or whatever, and he said one side is going to be a hotel, the other one's going to be apartments. So, wow, that thing is turning into something I never envisioned. So anyway, as I drove around, I made some other notes besides Ballpark Village. And Ballpark Village, though, 
they have all these swirly lights up in the trees, and I have never seen this before, but they have swirly, you know, sort of seasonal lights in ornamental grasses. Wow, I just, <laughs> that kind of caught me by surprise. But it shows you that, uh, you know, things that you never think about can make a big, big, big difference. But also I saw in Keener Plaza, the Salvation Army's Tree of Lights, that was kind of neat to see that. And uh, along Bush Stadium, there's green and red lights on the west side of the stadium. And uh, there was really a very light dusting of snow. It was popping up randomly. Along Market Street, there are all kinds of lights as well. And on the street lights, there's like arms that hold the street lights, actual light part over the street a little bit. And on the underside of those arms, there was, there's colored lights I, didn't, I don't know why I never saw that before or you know, never paid attention to it, but there's various colors like greens, reds, whites, and things like that on the underside of the street lights. So that offered a really kind of a neat highlight. And there is also a sign that declares Arch Winterfest is going to go through January 1st, and it says archwinterfest.com if you want more information. Spruce trees along Market Street, uh, they were saying... This is our kind of living. We love this. And several several sculptures in the city park area were lighted, so it really draws attention to them and then makes the nearby trees and shrubs, all the branching and everything else, even more interesting as well. The Sarah sculpture, boy, oh, boy, that poor thing. It gets no lighting. It gets nothing. It just kind of sits there in the dark, and I guess when the sun comes up, of course you can see it, but it kind of looks, you know, it is a very interesting sculpture. Let's put it that way, the Sarah sculpture. And and also, uh, hmm, regardless of the size of the Sarah sculpture, it's still, it needs some lights or something. I don't know. But maybe that's part of the restrictions that you cannot do anything any, at all. Also along Market Street, there's giant snowflakes and a hatted Santa Claus, or snowman, not Santa Claus, finishes off the tour of downtown. So started off walking, got too cold. I thought, uh, is this worth it? Uh, uh, I still hate to kind of give up only halfway around. But anyway, Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome back. And three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. This cold weather could have a major impact on your landscape, especially because it was so dry prior to this. I mean, we did have a little snow. We did have a little rain and everything else. But, yes, it does impact the above-ground growth. But where the major damage occurs is below ground, around the root systems. Because if there's not a lot of moisture or adequate moisture, it doesn't have to be flooded or anything else, there is air pockets that get, you know, that sort of like because the soil shrinks because it's dehydrated away from the feeder roots of the plant material. And when there's a gap there, then the cold air will sink down into there and do some damage to the feeder roots. That is where the real problem comes in. Let's go right now to Wentzville and into Daryl's yard. Daryl, how are you today? Good. How are you doing? Very good. Hey, I was checking. I was uh, going to be putting in a few uh, 
raise beds next year. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wanted to double check what you, I know I've seen a lot of controversies of wood types to use. I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on uh, what you would use for raised beds if you were going to have it be a vegetable garden. You mean actually to, for the sides of the raised beds? Yep. I yep. would use composite wood. So in other words, a wood that's basically a sawdust mixed with uh, plastic and forms into planks and boards. That's what they're using at the Missouri Botanical Garden. And it holds up very well. You don't have to worry about it. It doesn't rot or anything else. It doesn't impact the soil. It doesn't impact anything else. It's you know pretty darn sterile, let's put it that way. Okay. I appreciate it. Yep. Good luck with that. Yeah. And raised beds, that's certainly the way to go, regardless of what you're trying to drive. Yeah, whatever you're trying to drive, but whatever you're trying to grow. So now let's go to Frank, and Frank's on the road someplace. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Hi. Uh, I had a a peace lily given to me, and of course it was in the florist uh, plastic pot. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I took it out. Tried to divide it and put it into a larger pot, you know, with like three bunches around. So between grandkids and things that I'm not certain of, uh, I'm not doing very well. I have one little bunch of a root that has taken, and I've got about a 10-inch, you know, 10-inch tall leaf on it coming off now. Uh, can you give me kind of just some general guidelines on how to care for this this surviving part of the plant? And, and what I need to do to make it last. Well, I wish you would have called before you divided it, because dividing it was not the best thing to do. So they want to be, most everything wants to be really pot-bound in a pot. And, you know, once you start dividing it, you really mess up the whole, let's say, infrastructure of the plant material with the root system and the above-ground growth and everything else. So the best thing you can do is just kind of keep your fingers crossed. You know, keep it, uh, you know, in a sunny location, even though they say it's a low-light plant. And right. uh, just, you know, don't overwater. Don't fertilize it as long as it's not doing well. Wait until you start to see some active growth before you do any fertilizing. So what you're really trying to do is just stabilize it. And by stabilizing right. it, then you're, you know, like I said, you're going to keep your fingers crossed. You hope that it's going to start pushing out some new growth, and then you'll go from there. Yeah. It is showing, you know, it is showing uh, new growth. Okay. Uh, but only one bunch of it. Right. And uh, I did not know how sensitive the, the thing was because I've divided plants, you know, all my life. Right. I just, I'm not familiar with this one, and that's why I called you. Yeah. Th- uh, but, uh, yeah how- I'd like to see it make into a pretty, it's a pretty plant, and, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I wish I'd known a little more before I tried, destroyed the thing. Yeah, yeah, how long ago did you actually divide it? Actually, it's probably been eight, nine months ago, something like that. So, I mean, in in reality, you kind of did it at the best time because you certainly don't want to divide anything going into wintertime, regardless of what it is. And so you did it going into summer when the days were longer and everything else. Now, during the summertime, did you just put it outside by chance? No, I did not. I didn't want to risk the heat, you know, you know. I just, I did not. Yeah. So in the future, sitting on a, you know, on a southern, at a southern window. Right. You can, you don't have to put them outside, but if you have a sunny location, don't put it out in direct sun because it's going to sunburn everything. But if you've got a kind of a shady spot outside, that's going to be one of the advantages to try to, you know, get things moving forward. But if you do see some new growth, you know, go ahead. You can do some fertilizing. Just use, it doesn't matter, all purpose, you know, Scots or any type of house plant food. 
that you can find, but just do one half label rate and only feed it, you know, monthly. So once, you know, let's say in January, once in February, then March, and then by that time, the active growth should be really showing some real growth, not just pushing. And by that, then you can start feeding it the total label rate because the days are getting longer. Okay, one last question. Sure. This one bunch is coming up over into the edge of the larger plant, the uh, pot that I put it in. Mm-hmm. Can I scoop that out in a ball and move it to the center of the of the plant? You certainly you can, by. but I would not be messing around with the root system or anything else. I let the thing stabilize, and probably again, you know, putting it in a larger pot besides dividing it was not the best thing to do. You want to keep things, you know, kind of tight and compact until you start seeing roots come out of the drainage holes in the bottom. But you've had experience, you said, with lots of di- different divisions of plant material, so you kind of understand that. But with this particular one, if it did come from a florist versus a nursery, that's going to be a little bit of a different circumstance, too, just because of the fact of, let's say, how it was taken care of and where it was taken care of. In a nursery, a lot of times they're going to have them in greenhouses. They're going to be a little bit more adaptable, a little tougher. But in a florist, you know, they're going to be somewhat under grow lights, and you know, so that's going to be a little bit different circumstance. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that kind of left me with a weakened plant, not necessarily weakened plant, but in a compromised position before I even started messing with it. Right, exactly. Because, because it did come from a florist. Right. Mike, I appreciate your information, and, and uh, there's still a whole lot just sitting and looking, <laughs> waiting for it to grow. You know? <laughs> well, there's nothing more fun than watching a plant grow. <laughs> well, when, when it is growing. Right, exactly. Well, good luck. Thank you for your time. Sure, thank you. And if anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Trace and I were out shopping yesterday, and we went to some of the places that you know are having these big you know, holiday blah, blah, blah sales uh, for all the decorations and stuff. She said, well, here's uh, some amaryllis. And I said, no, I don't think I want to get the amaryllis. But if you have some amaryllis, you've been growing them. I've, you know, I've been watering mine. I, I had them in the dark you know, for like probably five months, and now two weeks ago I started watering. I watered again yesterday, so I'm not seeing any active growth yet, but I'm still sort of sitting in anticipation. Now, what I could have done with this amaryllis, it was on sales like 70% off or whatever, and I could have just opened the box up and then looked and see how firm the bulb is because a firm bulb is essential with anything, but in particular with the amaryllis because – if the bulb is not firm, then you're not going to have very much luck with it. Other things that you, you know, season-wise, if you've gotten a poinsettia, regardless of the color of the bracts, B-R-A-C-T-S, that's those leaves that, you know, you kind of think are petals of the flowers. The flowers are always very small on a poinsettia. But, uh, you know, just make sure you don't overwater this thing. Even though they're from the tropics, you know, Mexico and, you know, places where you'd think it's really warm and there's a lot of rain and everything else, with our circumstance, with a short length of daytime and everything else, just wait until the soil shrinks away from the inside of the pot, then water it thoroughly, and then don't water it again until the, you know, the potting mix shrinks away from the inside of the pot. And you, you know, anticipate some of the lower leaves falling off because that's just going to happen. There's nothing you can do about that. And just hopefully it's going to you know, make it through the entire winter time, and then when warmer weather comes, you can you know sit it outside. Don't put anything 
the houseplant wise indirect sun because you're going to sunburn them. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. I will be back after these messages. Get ready for the Blues and Hurricanes tonight. Pre-game skate 6.30. The puck drops at 7. Chris Gerber and Kelly Chase have all your action. Hear it here on your home of the St. Louis Blues. KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller. Sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, people have called in and said, do you think it's too late to plant uh, those tulips and daffodils and crocus and grape hyacinths that I bought and kind of set out in the garage and never got around to planting them? You're definitely probably too late now. First of all, even digging in the ground because it's really starting to freeze, even planting woody plant material, which I've said up until this point, you can safely plant it and everything else. But uh, once the ground freezes, then the plant material uh, is not so good for it. So forget it. You know, what you can do with your daffodils, tulips, crocus, or whatever, you can pot them up in, you know, regular, let's say, nursery-type pots with potting mix. You know, water it very well and just grow them that way rather than in the ground. And you can, if you have an extra refrigerator or space, you know, you probably don't want to put it in your regular refrigerator, but uh, just chill them that way after about uh, six or eight weeks in a chilly circumstance, even probably a garage will work. Then you bring them inside, put them in a sunny window, water them, and in a few weeks you're going to start to see some growth coming up from those daffodils and tulips and everything else. So what could be more fun than that? Have some in your house. I used to do that a lot. I don't do it quite as much anymore. But uh, also de-icers, I've talked about this if you use regular salt, rock salt de-icer, it can really do some damage dehydration of the plant material. It can actually cause some damage to you know, hardscapes too, concrete and things like that. But mainly the plant material, if you do that, you end up using it. Calcium chloride is much better than sodium chloride. Even though they both have chloride, there's just a big difference. But if you use the regular rock salt, which I forget where we were the other day, And whoever put the rock salt out on the sidewalk outside the store, they must have been crazy. It was like you were walking on, you weren't even touching the ground at all. So that was just absurd. But if you, you know, if you happen to put that out, you can use gypsum, which will more or less bind up the quality, let's say the adverse quality of the rock salt and prevent any further damage or any major damage as a result of that. So just realize that that's, you know, what you can do with your rock salt circumstance. Other things that you need to be thinking about, as, as we drive around or as I walk around, there has been some really, as I keep talking about the inflatables, and I'm not going to talk about, you know, fungus damage to your lawn or anything else, there has been some really cool inflatables lately. Uh, one of the neighbors on Federer that, uh, you know, is just around the corner from where we live, He's got a Santa, I think Santa's on a sled. This is a big inflatable, and he's got two husky dogs in front of him. I've never, ever seen that one. So that was a very unusual one. Also, another unusual one that I hadn't seen, but I've seen now a couple times, is Santa getting stuck in the chimney and the reindeer kind of standing there and just kind of going, hmm, let's see, what can I do to help Santa? Maybe I should just push him in further 
and let them just stick there. I, you know, you can't really tell what's going on. Also, even though you're going outside, you're checking, you know, just wandering around your yard, even though it's so cold, you might just want to get out and get some fresh air, maybe go out with your dog or something like that. Those weeds, those cold, cool season weeds that germinated last August, they could care less. You look down at them, and the chickweed and, let's say, the hen bit and all that other stuff, they look, oh, they don't look so good. But as soon as the weather starts warming up again, they are going to be fine. So they can really handle this, this circumstance. If, you, if the weather does warm after a few more days of this frigid cold, you can go out and start hand weeding. Herbicides this time of year, I wouldn't even bother with that at all. Another thing you, know, you can have done this time of year by a service or what you can do yourself is something called deep root feeding. And this is to the advantage of your tree material. So whatever size your tree is, go about halfway the distance from where the trunk is to the furthest extension of the branches. Then you have an electric, you know, battery-powered, obviously, or you can use one that you know, has a cord. Electric drill, and you auger holes in the ground. You go down about six inches or so. You do a concentric circle all the way around, and as you drill each hole, then you just backfill that hole with compost. This is not a fertilizer. What you're doing is you're enriching the soil, making the soil much better, and that will ultimately help your trees. So it's really a good thing to do. Then after you do one, you know, one circle around the trunk, you go out one or two feet, do another series of circles, backfill those with compost, and then continue to do that all the way around past where you're actually um, – Drip line is. So drip line just means the furthest extension of the branches. And the further out you get, that's where there's going to be more and more feeder roots. And by enriching the soil with this compost, then your feeder roots are going to take advantage of that circumstance. And so this is what you can really do. Pruning on trees this time of year, probably the only trees I wouldn't necessarily prune is maples. You're better off to prune the maples in the summertime versus the wintertime. You can certainly do it in the wintertime. It just seems like there's a lot more sap flow during the wintertime as opposed to the summertime. So that's kind of the disadvantage of you know, because you're going to see a lot of stuff just running down the trunks of the maple trees. And you're going to go, is that going to really ca- cause some damage? It really doesn't cause any damage. It's just more or less something that always causes worry more so than anything else. But all the rest of the trees, for the most part, they can be pruned. They can be dead-wooded. They can be shaped up. doesn't really matter. So get a hold of a tree service and have them come out and take a look and let them analyze your trees and decide what should be done. There was a tree right around on Holly Hills. Again, I walk you know, every morning. And I walk sometimes during the day, too. But uh, they had a huge oak tree, and they staghorned this tree some tree service. I don't know who it was. You know, I didn't pay any attention to it. But, uh, I mean, this tree is probably like a, maybe they're going to ultimately take the whole tree down. But they cut it back where the major branches on this tree, which has probably a three-foot, 36-inch caliper, you know, diameter of the trunk, basically at ground level. And caliper is just, if you measure it all the way across, let's say the trunk was cut off, and you just measure the trunk, 36 inches, 36 inches. So this is huge. Now, I know this tree, you know, it overhung the neighbor's yard. It overhung their house and everything else. But to stub it back like this is going to cause, if it does, you know, it's going to push out some growth. And this growth is going to be very willowy. 
And this growth, unless a tree is going to be taken down, which I don't have any idea if it's going to be, is going to be really problematic from the standpoint of winds and things like that. So there's, it's not very good to stub back a tree or, let's say, heavy let's say pruning onto a tree. Don't do that whatsoever. Selective pruning is the best thing you can do. If there's crossing branches, get rid of all that kind of stuff. But just to cut it back where I think probably off the main trunk, there's not a branch that's longer than maybe four, maybe five feet. And those are still huge branches or, you know, I don't want to say splits in the trunk, but, you know, they kind of are once they get to a certain point with a tree that there's not too much else that you can do, you know, that you can call it except, you know, that's really the trunk that really starts reaching out. But uh, it's, you know, this is going to be a disaster. Also, if you do have a tree and you have it taken down the whole way, you have the stump ground out. That does not mean by grinding the stump, even though you get rid of all this, let's say, the shredded bark from the stump grinding, that you're really going to be able to grow anything there whatsoever. So you're not going to be able to plant a new tree there because right below where the stump grinding you know, happened, what there is is it's solid wood. And you're never going to get rid of all this, let's say, stump grindings and all those little pieces that are down there in the ground. As they start breaking down, they bind up nutrients, and they also bind up moisture. So that's where the real trouble comes in. So even if you dig out all that stuff, you put some new topsoil, compost mix, or anything else, and just want to grow some lawn, you're not going to be able to do that either. And just remember the lateral roots, which are not really impacted directly by grinding the stump out, the lateral roots are going to stay viable for a couple years depending upon how healthy the tree was in the first place. So... You could still see suckers coming off the root system for amazing amount of years, a couple years, three or four or five years. Also, once the root system is totally imploded, so in other words, the root system has to be fed by the leaves on the tree. So the root system uptakes nutrients and moisture, sends that sort of energy up to the leaves on the tree. You know, obviously certain evergreen trees, they have it year-round, although they don't manufacture that much food that's what chlorophyll is all about. Manufacture that much food in the wintertime. But in the summertime when they're fully leafed out, yes, they make a lot of food. And they share it with every part of the tree. They send a lot of the energy back down to the root system to keep it healthy, viable, because the feeder roots are really important. Because if the feeder roots have been damaged, that's why the above-ground growth starts going downhill. That's why when a lot of things like, let's say, utility companies come in, They've got a trench very near a tree. If you cut a lot, you know, even just, let's say, 10 feet away from the trunk, you're still cutting a major amount of the root system, and that's going to impact the above-ground growth. So just understand the root system is very, very important. Soil compaction and everything else along that line, this is very much the same case. So, you know, that's why, as I started off with this, this augering these holes and compact and putting compost back in there, that helps reduce the soil compaction. That enables the feeder roots, uh, you know, have a better chance or a better opportunity to spread out, to uptake the nutrients and uptake the moisture as well. So as I look out the window as we're, you know, here at KMOX, the sun's coming out downtown. So I don't know what it's like in your neighborhood, but just because the sun's coming out, psychologically it helps some, but usually that means when the sky is clearer, the temperature is going to get colder, as we know it is with all the forecasts and everything else. 
So let's now go to Russ, and Russ is in North St. Louis. Hi, Russ. Hi, Mike. Um, actually, I'm driving in North St. Louis, but I live in South St. Louis. Great. Moles. Um, I'm using a, a, a mole firm called Rottler, and I continuously still have moles. And um, I don't know whether they're dormant in the wintertime or not. I haven't seen much activity uh, just recently, but... Do you have any ideas about moles other than using a service or doing something else? Uh, Basically setting traps yourself, but that's what the the service does. you got to set multiple traps. During the wintertime, they're much less active because what moles do is their main diet is earthworms. And how moles find earthworms is when earthworms start tunneling through the ground, moles can actually hear them. So that's where their tunnels lead them. So when the ground starts getting colder and colder and colder, earthworms go deeper, not hugely deep, but deeper and just pretty much go through a hibernation during the very cold season. So the moles kind of just, you know, hunker down themselves. There's not anything like uh, grubs or anything like that, which are appetizers for moles, but there's really not too much you can do. And the thing is, you know, moles are very territorial. So generally, you're going to have probably one or two moles, depending upon the size of your yard, in the front yard, in the backyard. And if you tra- if you know this firm traps them, that's great. But if you have a nice yard where there's going to be a lot of earthworms, the other moles that are living in the neighborhood are going to say, hey, this is a better place to live than where, am I, where I'm living now because they're going to hear the earthworms you know, as they more or less tunneling around in somebody else's yard. And then consequently, they're going to move towards your yard. And then the females, they're pregnant right now. They have a birthing den, which is about two feet below the ground. And in February, that's when they have the new baby moles. And then for the first X amount of months, those babies are just going to hang around and learn how to tunnel and learn how to do all this stuff from their mom. And then consequently, that's why you probably have more moles than what you anticipate in your yard. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, so grub control does nothing for mole control. Moles, you know, they do eat grubs, but they only eat them if they happen to stumble across them as they're tunneling for earthworms. So thanks, Russ, and uh, enjoy your – I don't know where you live in South City, but uh, maybe even close to where Tracy and I live. Mike Miller, KMYS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Hopefully you've been cutting your lawn. Your zoys is already brown, so you didn't have to worry too much about cutting that. But your fescues and bluegrasses, probably now the growth has gotten this cold, is going to start really slowing down. But don't let those blades get too long. If they get elongated and we do have some moisture, what can happen? Even if we don't have moisture, even with some of these winds we've had, the the blades can lay down on top of each other. And during the wintertime, yes, we always think of fungus and that kind of stuff when the weather is hot and humid. But there are two different kinds of fungus. They both have more or less a pink tint to them that occur during the wintertime. Now, they're not as deadly as a summer-type fungus in lawn areas. But what they do is just cause an overall weakness to your lawn. Then, you know, we never know what the weather's going to be like. So 
If your lawn is just a little bit weak, even though you're not able to perceive it, it doesn't look brown or anything, no dead patches, then when, let's say, the real fungus season comes around, it could be disastrous for your lawn. So there is lawn here is just virtually impossible to grow because the cool season lawns, we're about as far south as you can possibly go to grow successfully with minimum amount of trouble, the cool season lawns, and we're about as far north for the warm season lawns. So we're right at that transition point, and you can see why, like I was talking about. Early December, it was warm. We are wearing T-shirts and everything else, and now you can't go out with without having like five or six different layers on. So let's go over to Jerseyville, Illinois, and go into John's yard. John, how are you today? Great, Mike. How are you doing? Very Love good. Hey, uh, actually, you're on the right subject for my question. Uh, we built a house three, four years ago, and, uh, you know, where we didn't excavate a whole lot, uh, you know, obviously the topsoil was left there. It has nice, thick. We have our yard treated every year in the grass. But in, in patches uh, where we have uh, backfill with the, with the clay, um, when it gets, you know, summertime, extremely hot, we don't have irrigation on the lawn, um, you just notice where the clay is versus the topsoil, you know, the, the, the browns up. You know, you can definitely tell a difference. Right. Is there any kind of topical uh, solution for that, or is it uh, is it a simple, we need irrigation or, you know, more topsoil added? Well, basically, an irrigation system is not going to help, and adding topsoil on top of clay is not going to help either. If you want to mix the topsoil, you know, get a topsoil blend with compost in it and mix it in with the existing soil. What you can do as well it's just over the next couple of years, every May and every September, do something called core aerating, especially the areas that have problems. Core aeration is a machine which will take like wine bottle type cork size, right, right. you know, and then right after you do the core aeration, then spread about a half inch to three quarters of an inch of compost over the surface. That's going to fall down in the holes. So you're going to take the clay soil, which is not horrible, once you start adding these additives to it with this compost, and it may actually turns into a fairly decent, you know, growing medium. But it's going to take a couple years to get it, you know, back into, let's say, get it into shape in the first place. But core sure. rate twice a year. Okay. That sounds great. I appreciate it. Great. Good luck with that. Yeah, and, yeah, clay soils, I mean... They are disastrous in many, many ways. And if you built a home, too, and this is for anybody that's had a recently built home, uh, realize that all the construction, equipment, and everything else, they've probably tried to be as gentle as they possibly could, but just driving over the top of soil that maybe was clay, had a clay base, but that just you know packs it down more and more and more, the weight of the construction, where they set the pallets for the roofing stuff or anything else. All that's going to pack that soil down, and uh, it's you know it's just it's really a disaster. There's no getting around it. And for you know just kind of in general, just keep that in mind. And even if you think your lawn you know looks good, this coeration should be done every couple of years. Like I said, this gentleman that had major problems twice a year. That's what the botanical garden does every year. They do it, uh, let's say, mid-early spring. May was probably a little bit too late. You could certainly do it before that. And they do it again in the fall. They don't necessarily every time do some top dressing with the compost, but they've been working in, you know, in this location, the Botanical Garden, for quite a while. So their soil is still in pretty good shape, but they still know just from foot traffic, if there was an event in certain areas you know, where tents were put or anything else, 
or where they had to even your mower, if you have a riding mower driving on top of the soil, can compact it down, especially if you go the same direction always. In other words, you get yourself more or less in a, I don't want to say a rut, but that's basically what it is. And you always cut the same direction. Always go north and south one time, the next time go east and west. So you're doing crisscross. Or do diagonal, but do an opposite diagonal. That way you're not going to you know, compact the soil. Because I can walk by places you know, or drive by places where I can tell you know, that they have the same width of their mower and they go the same direction all the time because just the way it looks, you can almost see the, you know, and if you get out, you could probably actually feel the ruts from the weight of the mower tires. Even though in theory it's not all that much, but that little bit of compression in our, you know, in our region can really cause you some, you know, some grief for your lawn because lawn is by far the most expensive part of your landscape. There's no getting around it. When you look at all the equipment, that you need to maintain a lawn, whether it just be a simple mower, when all the time you spend, whether you're you know raking or anything else involved with lawn fertilizing, and with the fertilizer, don't use these triple twelve type fertilizers. Those were basically formulated for agricultural circumstances, so they're a very quick release, and they don't do very. I mean, they will help some, but if you consistently use it. What you're going to do is you're finally going to get you know need a soil test because you think, well, I've been fertilizing for a long time. Now, why does my lawn not look as good as it should? And you get a soil test done, and you find out you have extravagant levels of the phosphorus and potassium. That's the last two 12s and a triple 12. The first one is nitrogen. But the you know extravagant levels of the phosphorus and potassium or excessive levels, that actually is detrimental to your soil, consequently detrimental to your lawn. So realize that fertilizing, if you're going to do it, you can't just do it routinely because this is, you know, you just want to get it done and you want to get it done with this thing that you always use because always using anything for a long period of time, regardless of what it is, is probably not going to be to the, you know, to the best for your plant material, regardless, whether it's lawn, whether it's trees, whether it's shrubs, whether it's ground cover, even with annuals in that kind of circumstance, certainly your vegetables. So I keep hammering on the soil testing, but it is something that just makes good sense. It's like trying to guess, you know, what's going on even with your, let's say your pets or yourself without getting a test done, you can't really figure out what it is. And the plant material, I mean, it is alive. Remember that. So if things are not performing the way they should, maybe it is something physical. Maybe this area, you're not able to grow grass. And then you've realized, oh, well, it's not necessarily underneath a tree, but the feeder roots of the tree do come to this point, and the tree is always going to be the bully in the circumstance, and they're going to overpower a lawn lawn situation where the lawn is going to suffer. There's no getting around it. That's why compatibility of ground cover type root systems is much better for, let's say, growth underneath trees versus a lawn. So, and also most of the lawns really do not, even a shady spot mix doesn't do well. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. The Voice of St. Louis, News Radio 1120, KMOX, KMOX HD, St. Louis, 102.5 KEZK, HD3, St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.